Well, here's a very quick review as we jump into week two of our One Giant Leap series. As we began last week, we said said this, that we know for many of us when it comes to our relationship with God and our faith and our relationships with others and how God may want those to look, that we want and God wants for us to take one giant leap forward, that he wants us to move in a direction. He wants some big change. He wants big changes and radical changes to the way we think about him, the way we approach him, the way we put our faith and our trust in him, the way we respond to him in relationship to others that God actually wants and we know we need a giant leap forward. But in the same way we said last week that Neil Armstrong's one giant leap was really one small step, that in the same way your giant leap will be the result of a small step of faith, that your giant leap will be the result of a small step of faith or a small series of steps of faith. So last week we began by looking at some interactions that people had with Jesus, and we saw Jesus interact with a woman with a reputation and a past and a, hey, my present looks an awful lot like my past. And we talked about the idea of magnetism versus gravity. That while sin has a gravity to it, Jesus is the magnet that overcomes the gravity of sin. That Jesus is the magnet that overcomes the gravity of sin. That he offers forgiveness no one else can. He offers a way forward and a way out from a life that has been dominated by sin. And that when sin is trying to pull you back, when you are found in Jesus, Jesus provides a way forward. And that's just the first week, y'all. And so today, I want to talk about the Hubble telescope, naturally. I want to talk about the Hubble telescope. See, I remember a few years ago, an event that was put on out at Dripping Springs, at the, the Dripping Springs and La Cueva hiking area. It was called the Star Party. I don't know if anyone else is watching went to that. Um, but the Star Party took place on a night in May that was supposed to be a night with the best chance to see a number of planets and stars and constellations from our neck of the woods. And a whole bunch of people came out with their large, expensive telescopes, and they pointed them strategically to be able to see certain stars, certain planets, and it and it was it was it was really really cool. It was really cool, and I remember asking the person with the biggest telescope because I just assumed biggest telescope meant the coolest telescope. Apparently, it wasn't exactly true, but the biggest telescope that I could find. I asked him how much the how much it cost him to buy that telescope, and he was honest with me. And the number was fairly ridiculous. It was it was crazy. It was something about of over over twenty five thousand dollars. I don't remember what the exact amount was. It was over twenty five thousand dollars he had spent on this telescope, and he was excited that it could see from that it could faintly see a star that it was 2 million light years away. And when he said that, I was like, 2 million light years away? That's an amazing like distance to be able to see with this telescope sitting on the Earth's surface. And I was really, like, I, I was really impressed with that until I remembered how far the Hubble t- telescope can see out into space. And if, if, you, don't, if you don't know this, this is how, how long the, tele- the Hubble telescope has been able to see the, the furthest points that the Hubble telescope hovering around orbiting the Earth has been able to see out into the universe, out into the galaxy, is 15 billion light years away. The Hubble telescope has seen points of light and points of interest 15 billion light years away, not million, billion light years away. It's unreal. It's an incredibly powerful telescope. And what makes that more interesting though, is if you took that Hubble telescope and you place it on the surface of the earth, 
it loses a great deal of its power. Now, it still is more powerful than the two million you know, light year, $25,000 telescope. It's still more powerful than that, but it's not gonna be able to see nearly 15 billion light years away. And this should come as no surprise. The reason the Hubble telescope can't see nearly as far from Earth's surface is that when it's on the Earth's surface, the telescope is trying to see through the Earth's atmosphere. And while the atmosphere is great, and I really appreciate the ability to breathe and everything that comes with our atmosphere, when you look through the atmosphere, there are all kinds of things that cloud our ability or a telescope's ability to see clearly. And so the ability to see far and the ability to see distant and the ability to see clearly is blocked by the Earth's atmosphere. Now, the reason that I bring all of that up is simply this. You live surrounded by an atmosphere that makes it difficult to see God clearly. You live your life and I live my life surrounded by an atmosphere that makes it difficult to see God clearly. For example, pain, some of the pain that you've experienced in your life can cloud your ability to see God clearly. It's difficult to see through the pain of life sometimes. Religious experiences can cloud our ability to see God clearly. You were taught some things, like I was taught some things about who God is, or maybe things were taught one way and modeled, and you saw some hypocrisy, and the hypocrisy of your religious upbringing made it difficult to see God clearly and still does to this day. Some life experiences can cloud our ability to see God clearly. Someone treated you poorly. Something was completely unfair to you, that it, 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 those life experiences make it difficult for us to see through and to see God clearly. Family experiences can cloud, cloud our ability to see God clearly. The, one of the things I hear so often, because so many people grow up with difficult relationships with their fathers, and then we're told that God is a good and a perfect heavenly father. And people start picturing their experience with their dad and know the difficulty of the relationships they had with their dad. And so they struggle to have a relationship with a heavenly father when their earthly father's relationship with them is so difficult. And so our family experiences can cloud our ability to see God clearly. Relationships can cloud our ability to see God clearly, that sometimes we get so emotionally invested in a relationship that, there, that whatever is happening in the relationship matters far more than anything that we think is happening with God. See, there's all kinds of things that make it difficult for us to see God clearly and experience Him correctly, to understand what He's like and who He really is and who He wants to be in our lives. And for you to see God clearly, just like the Hubble telescope, something has to break through the atmosphere of pain, the atmosphere of religious experience, the atmosphere of family experience, the, 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 the atmosphere of life's experience, the, absent, the, the atmosphere of our relationships that cloud our judgment, that something has to break through the atmosphere of all that. And luckily for us, Jesus didn't stay distant and he didn't wait for us to figure out how to break the atmosphere. Jesus came close enough to see Clearly, he broke through the atmosphere of our lives and he came close enough to see for anyone and everyone who dared to look. Today, our, the experience with Jesus, the interaction with Jesus that we're going to look at comes from John chapter 9. This is, this is an incredible, incredible story. In John chapter 9, it starts like this. It says, as he was passing by, he saw, this is Jesus, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And this is a big question in that day. Something's wrong, whose fault is it? Something's wrong, whose fault is it? And there's two thoughts at, at that day, and there's a third one that comes up today. The two thoughts in those, it was his blindness is a punishment for his sin, 
or his blindness is a punishment for his parents' sin, that God cursed him for something that he did, and so he has been born blind, or his parents sinned, and God cursed them with, this, with, the, with the consequence of a son born blind. Let me give you the third thought that I think we often think today, that they didn't verbalize at this day. Well, maybe God's just cruel. Maybe there's no reason on earth. Maybe God's just cruel. And no matter how far we advance, we still ask this question. We still ask this question every time something in life breaks. See, here's what I know to be true. When life breaks, we always want someone to blame. When life breaks, we always want someone to blame. Every single one of us, every single one of us, when life breaks, we need to justify it. We need to make it make sense. We need to like, we want a reason or someone to point our finger at and say, if you had just this wouldn't have happened. Every single one of us wants that. And you know what's interesting? I think more and more and more when life breaks, we want to blame God. We don't want to say it's their fault or their fault. We want to point the finger at God and say it's his fault because blaming God takes any blame off of us for life breaking. It takes any blame off of anyone that we're in relationship for life blaming. And it puts the blame onto someone that I think we so often treat as a category. And if we can blame the category of God, the person we don't really have a relationship with God, it makes the entire thing somehow easier for us. When life breaks, we look for someone to blame. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus didn't really answer their question the way they expected them to answer their question. It says this in verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. See, sometimes life breaks and there's no one to blame. That's, that's Jesus' answer. Sometimes life breaks and there is no one to blame. But he said, this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. See, for Jesus, pain can serve a greater purpose. For Jesus, pain can serve a greater purpose purpose. See, Jesus didn't need to make it make sense. Jesus wanted to make it matter. Jesus didn't need to make it make sense. Jesus wanted to make it matter. See, this is a big deal for so many of us. For so many of us, so many of us when life breaks, we need it to make sense. We want it to make sense. Well, why did this happen? Who's to blame? What's the reason for this? What's the cause for this? I know God works in all things. So what's he working right now? Like what's happening? We want it to make sense. We want it to make sense. But let me just say something that might, might set you free from some of that. Some of the hurt and the pain and tragedy in life that you have experienced will never make sense, but you can make it matter. You can make it matter. Some of you, you grew up without a mom or without a dad or without either, and that will never make sense. But you can make it matter. Some of you, you have faced the tragedy of a divorce or a spouse being unfaithful, and that will never make sense to you. But you can make it matter. Some of you, you have dealt with a diagnosis that was completely out of left field, and it rocked your life, and it rocked your family, and it rocked your future, and that will never make sense to you, but you can make it matter. Jesus, speaking into this dynamic, he essentially tells everyone speaking into this dynamic, if you're looking for it to make sense, you may stay stuck there forever. But if you're interested in making it matter, follow me and I will show you the way. If you're willing to make it matter, 
follow me and I'll show you the way. Now, now the story from here takes a, bit, a little bit of a comedic turn. John had a little bit of a sense of humor that makes a little bit more sense in the Greek language, but we can still pick on it, uh, up on it today as we, as we read this particular story. In verse 6, after Jesus said these things, he spit on the ground, you, made some mud from the saliva, which means Jesus didn't, like, this wasn't just a little spit. Like, Jesus spit a lot in order to make mud, and he spread the mud on his eyes, which is gross. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Jesus sent the man to scent. Jesus sent the man to scent. And then we're told this. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. The blind man received his sight. This is unbelievable. It was quite literally unbelievable. Here's how his neighbors responded to his miracle. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said he's the one. Others were saying, nah, he just looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one, like I'm, I'm that guy. So they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So, I, so when I went and washed, I received my sight. You know, just like, all, just like all of us expected. Everyone expected that there would just be a guy who would come around, and he'd spit on the ground, and he'd make some mud with the spit and the dirt, and he'd rub it on my eyes, and he'd send me to a pool. Yeah, just like we all thought, this makes complete sense. Well, where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. I was still blind when it happened. I mean, like, this is, the, you want the comedic version. This is like, hey, where did that guy go that healed you? I, I don't know. I didn't get my sight back until after he was gone. Like, he put some mud on my eyes, told me what to do. I, can't, I came out of the pool, and I'm like, woo! I can see clearly now the fog is gone, and the mud is gone, and everything's gone. But Jesus is also gone. What in the world is going on? Like, just like everyone wants to blame something when life breaks, everyone is looking for an answer for how this went so right. And there's a pretty obvious answer that the man knows, but the people don't understand yet. And the answer is Jesus. See, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Jesus came to repair the broken. Jesus came to repair the broken. For this man, Jesus came to restore and to heal his broken Sight. Jesus fixed a situation that to everyone else was an interesting theological conversation. To them, it was an interesting theological conversation because it was impossible to fix. It was impossible to fix, which is true for everyone else that lived in that day and that time. This was impossible to fix. For Jesus, he had the ability beyond what's possible for anyone else. And for you, for some of you today, understanding this is going to be a breakthrough for you. Jesus can repair anything that life has broken. Jesus can repair anything that life has broken. And I know the jokes out there that for Christians, Jesus is the answer for every question. Jesus is the Sunday school answer for every question. And while I know that the jokes are out there, this is dead serious. Jesus is the one who can fix and repair 
anything that life has broken. Jesus is, is the solution for everything that life has broken. Jesus can restore a broken marriage. Following Jesus is the solution for healing irrep- irreparable relationships. Following Jesus can restore a damaged reputation. Jesus can set free bodies and minds that have lived with addiction. Jesus is. Jesus is the one who can repair and restore anything and everything that life or you has broken. Story goes on, and we're told this in verse 13. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. No! Don't take the, don't take the new guy to see the Pharisees. Like, this amazing thing has just happened to him and for him. And these guys are going to make him feel like we know the Pharisees. They're going to do something terrible. And sure enough, they do. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. We're like, oh, like we're hearing the Jaws music coming in already. They haven't said a word. And we're like, no, this is going to go badly. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among even the Pharisees. This is interesting. They've seen something now that if this is true, this opens their eyes to maybe the idea that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Again, they asked the blind man, well, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet he said. He, I mean, at the very, like, he, he's something at the very least. He's something. He did for me what no one else could possibly do for me. It says this, the Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. Again, they think this is a con job. They think this is a poss- possibly a con job between Jesus and an actor trying to convince people that Jesus has power that Jesus didn't actually have. But they invited his parents and they asked them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. And this is interesting. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know, we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And here's something to pay attention to. Elevating religious tradition above a personal relationship will always diminish your ability to see Jesus. Elevating a religious experience or a religious tradition above a personal relationship will always diminish your ability to see Jesus. They say, we know. Well, no, they didn't. We know. No, they didn't. They didn't know anything. They had decided something. They had decided that since the person they were seeing didn't match up to the tradition they had chosen, something must be wrong with the person, not with their understanding and not with their tradition. But this is what happens. This is what happens when we confuse religious tradition with Jesus, isn't it? Like, we have our religious tradition, and Jesus is over here, and we get so focused on the religious tradition that we miss 
Jesus. Or we get so in tune with what happened in a religious tradition, what happened to us because of a religious tradition, that we can't look past it to see Jesus. We miss Jesus because what Jesus is doing doesn't match up with the way we've been taught about Jesus. Can I tell you what, what the biggest way I, I see this play out today is? What the, maybe the biggest way I, this plays out today? Today this plays out in a big way in regard to religious trauma or to church hurt. See, you've, you've experienced church hurt at the hands of religion, and in your mind, religion equals Jesus. And since religion hurt you, Jesus hurt you. Since religion told you that you didn't belong, it's as if Jesus told you that you didn't belong. Religious people told you that you couldn't ask your questions there. And so you came to understand that Jesus didn't want your questions around him. Since religious people acted like single moms or college students or divorcees or people who have an occasional drink don't matter to God, you assumed that since you were in one of those categories, you must not matter to God. See, here's the thing. I don't want to diminish that feeling at all because that's a feeling and an experience that I know all too well. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. No matter what a church has said about whether or not you belong with Jesus, you belong. No matter what a church has said about your questions, Jesus welcomes your questions. And no matter how a church has treated the category of people you find yourself in, you matter to God. You matter to God. And so here's what I would say. If you're clinging to an idea of religion that contradicts Jesus, that keeps you from seeing Jesus, it's time to drop that idea of religion so that you can see Jesus. If somehow you're holding on to an idea of religion, you're clinging to an idea of religion that contradicts Jesus, that keeps you from seeing Jesus, it's time to drop that thinking. It's time to drop that, that, that way of religion, that idea of religion, so that you can see Jesus. It's time to look past what happened to you so that you can see Jesus. It's time to look, what was done, look past what was done to you so that you can see Jesus. It's time to look past the religious tradition so that you can see the one who has done for you what no one else could do for you. Story goes on in verse 25, we're told this. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? And they ridiculed him. Yeah, you're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You got to love the boldness that this guy comes with, like getting sarcastic in front of these Pharisees. That's an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a, blind, a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And their answer is this, you were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you're trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. They threw him out. So let me introduce you to a term. There's a term called willful ignorance. You ever heard of the concept? Willful ignorance is when the information is out there and readily available, and you act like it's something unknowable, like it's something unknowable. The man born blind says, if you don't know where this guy is from, 
maybe that's on you. Like, if you can't interpret the fact that he's opening the eyes of the blind and he's feeding the 5,000 and he's walking on water and he's raising the dead, if you can't put that together to figure out where he's from, well, maybe that's not on him. Maybe that's on you. Maybe you're refusing to know what could be known. Because sitting on my side of the experience, having had him open my eyes, being able to see, being healed by him, having him turn my life around, it is obvious where he is from. See, there are a lot of times in the Christian faith where we say, oh, be careful. You don't want to be like a Pharisee. This is one of the biggest ways that no one, Christian or not, should want to be like a Pharisee, to have something knowable that we refuse to know, to have something knowable that we refuse to know, to have the ability to see something and refuse to see it, to have a God that we could understand, but we refuse to seek him. That there are times in life and in faith where we act exactly like the Pharisees when it comes to understanding God. Well, some things we may never know. We may never really know what God is like. Can anyone really know how God would act in any given situation? See, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. And this is the entire bottom line for today. Jesus came to make clear what couldn't be known before him or without him. Jesus came to make clear what couldn't be known before him or without him. See, all of your questions, all your doubts, all of your we can never know. What if I told you the answer was available? What if I told you the answer was Jesus? What if I told you that everything you need to know about God has been shown to us in the life of his son, Jesus? See, everyone here is going, we can't possibly, we don't know where this guy came from. So often we act like, well, we can't possibly know. We can know. We have a picture that God sent to us to help us understand. We have a life lived out in front of us to know exactly what God is like. Here's what we're told happens in the rest of the way of the story. Jesus heard that they'd thrown the man out. And when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the son of man? Well, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Jesus then said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see or think they can see will become blind. Jesus says, I came. I came so that people wouldn't have to wander in search of God and wonder about God through the atmosphere of life. I cut through all of that so that you could see up close and as clear as it could possibly be what your heavenly Father is like. I came so people who couldn't see can finally see. I came so that people who think they see will realize that they haven't seen but have a chance to actually see God, because I'm here, Jesus would say, because I'm here, you don't have to wander. You don't have to wonder. I have come to show you everything that you ever need to know about God on this side of eternity. Jesus came, Jesus came to make clear what couldn't be known before him and what still can't be known without him. Jesus came to cut through the atmosphere of life to cut through the religious experience, the family experience, the life experience, the pain, the hurt, the drama, the relationship, all of that. He came to cut through the atmosphere of your life 
so that we could see and we could know clearly what our Heavenly Father is like. Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing his letter to, to, a, city, to a church in a city known as Colossae, helping, trying to help them understand who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do, he explained this way in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Paul says, when we saw Jesus, we saw God. What we saw of Jesus, it's what's true of God. When we saw how Jesus handled the situation, that's how we know God would handle that situation because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. That's the message. Jesus came to make clear what couldn't be made clear without him. I love this. James Irwin James Irwin, who was the eighth man to walk on the moon, he was part of the Apollo 15 mission. He, he said this in an interview shortly after going to the moon. He said, Jesus walking on earth was greater than any man walking on the moon. I mean, just imagine being one of 12 people in history who has walked on the moon. I, I like... If I was one of those 12 people, I wouldn't be able to talk about anything else ever for the rest of my life. Oh, you did something cool? Well, I walked on the moon. Like, I mean, it's the ultimate trump card. And this man who was the eighth person to ever set foot on the moon said that Jesus walking on earth was greater than any man walking on the moon. Let me tell you a couple of reasons I think that's true. First, see, we went from the imperfection of earth to go to the moon Jesus left the perfection of heaven. Like we left a place with all kinds of trouble to go to the moon. Jesus left the perfection of heaven to come down to our imperfection. Jesus was willing to sacrifice on a level that we didn't sacrifice to go to the moon. We went to the moon in a race of superiority over another nation. Jesus came to show superiority over sin, death, hell, and the grave. I mean, I know we were trying to beat Russia to the moon. Jesus beat death, hell, sin, and the grave when he came to our earth. And finally, we went to the moon to explore, but Jesus came to the earth to reveal. We went to the, earth to the, we went to the moon to explore. Jesus came to the earth to reveal. Jesus came to show us who God is and what God is like. That's the ball game. Jesus came so that we could understand what we previously could not understand about God. Jesus broke through the atmosphere of life, broke through the things that make it difficult for us to see and experience and understand God. And he came face to face with humanity so that we could see and hear and feel and touch and watch how he lived among us. So there's two big questions that are worth asking. One that I think you have to wrestle to the ground. In response to this, if, if this is true, if this is true that Jesus really did come from God to show us what God is like, to reveal to us what God is like, there's two questions. One of them that I think you have to wrestle to the ground and one that I think might just help you wrestle it to the ground. The first question is simply this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's the biggest question in this life because it affects more than this 
life. Who is Jesus? Is he a nice teacher who taught people to love? Is he a miracle worker, but nothing more? Is he a person who fought for justice, but, he, but, but, didn't do, but, but justice and love and peace and all of those things, but he, didn't, but he wasn't anything beyond that? Or is he the son of God, come from God to live among us, to die a sinless death for us and raise us from the dead, bringing a, victor- raised from the dead, bringing a victorious life for all of us? Is he the savior of the world? Is he king over kings? Is he Lord over lords? Is he the son of God come to the earth? If that's true, he's worth surrendering our lives to. If that's true, he's worth following. If that's true, he's worth embracing as not just the savior of the world, but as our savior of our souls and our world. So who is Jesus? And who is Jesus to you? And here's the second question. What do you learn about the father through the life of the son? See, if it's true that Jesus came to show us what God is like and who God is and to help us understand our heavenly father, What do you learn about the Father through the life of the Son? Is He gracious? Is He compassionate? Is He loving? Is He faithful? Is He truthful? What are the things that the Son got angry about? I'll tell you this. Some of the things that you get angry about in life, those are the things that Jesus got angry about. And because Jesus got angry about them, we know that our Heavenly Father gets angry about them. Like, what do we learn about the Father through the life of the Son? Jesus came to make clear what couldn't be known before him and what still can't be known without him. See, here's the thing. I'll tell you what. If you'll wrestle those questions to the ground, my guess is you won't have, to, you won't have just taken a small step. You'll have taken one giant leap forward in your relationship with God, in your approach of God, in your understanding of God, your heavenly Father. And that's worth it. So let's, let's keep looking at Jesus. Let's answer the question, who is Jesus? Let's look to the life of the Son so that we can understand who the Father really is. It's one giant leap forward. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus who came into the world to live among us, but to show us something better than us, show us something bigger than us, to show us you, who came to be the ultimate display of who you are, what you're like, and how we could interact with you. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that, that, that when life doesn't make sense, he showed us we don't have to make it make sense. We do need to make it matter. Thank you that he is the one who has the power and the ability to fix and to repair anything and everything that life has broken. Thank you that he came to show us you. God, that we can know you because we've seen you in the life of the Son. So God, help us to continually look to Jesus Help us to place our trust in Jesus. Help us to know Jesus so that ultimately we can know you. God, help us to look to Jesus. Give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard today. Give us courage to continually look to Jesus in any and every situation of life so that we can see and know you. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.